Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. So how's everybody been doing? I missed you guys last week. I missed you. I really did. I probably could have done the show from the hotel room, but I needed to get some rest. So, you know, took some time out just for um, myself. And so the last two weeks, the last two weeks of my life have been quite, quite interesting in a good way, in a very good way. You know, got out, met some people broke bread with some people, had conversations and laughs and giggles and all of that, you know, putting together strategy and logistics. It was a good two weeks. And so there's more coming from that um, soon, you know. um, Yeah, just soon. That's all you guys really need to know right now. You know, there's going to be some changes. And I've been wanting to make some of these changes for a while. I just wasn't really motivated to do it. You know, you can only have the wind knocked out of you so many times before you just lose all motivation. But I'm trying to get everything back on track, so we're getting there slowly but surely. So let's see here. What's going on? Did you all see what was happening down there in Standing Rock with the Sioux Tribe? Yeah, you all need to pay attention. Um, I know I posted some live feeds on Thursday of this past week. And, you know, the signals got scrambled. They had a no-fly zone, all of that before, you know, they they commenced to sicken the dogs on the people using the sound cannons, you know. So, you know, you have police officers from either four or five different states that are there, you have paid mercenaries that are there, you have some unpaid, ain't got shit else to do, militia folk out there trying to intimidate, you know, the um, the Native Americans and the people who are standing with them. You know, I could have been out there, I was invited to go, and the group that went, you know, we sent some people there, um, they were there Thursday, and that was one of the reasons why You know, we were monitoring it so closely. Not that we would have monitored it any less had they not been there. But, you know, we don't want anything to happen to anyone. And so when you're working with people and and you're part of this activism and you're part of this movement and you're part of this organizing, you know, we have to make sure that we cover each other. And so... You know, we're sitting there watching it, 
and finding, you know, live links here and there. But, yeah, they definitely were scrambling the signals out there. So, anyway, yeah, we sent some folks out there, and when they were asking people to go, you know, it was a commitment for a certain amount of time. And so I knew I wouldn't be able to do it, and it's not about about the matter of time. I wouldn't be able to basically thrive in that type of environment. So I would have been more of a hindrance than a help going out there. You know, in the morning it's super, super hot, and at night it's super cold. Either one of those situations, I am knocked out. The last thing we needed was for people to be coming to the tent trying to figure out if I'm still alive because I'm sleeping 13, 14, 15 hours in a day because I can't cope with the heat or the cold. So it's, it's, it's really interesting, but, you know, they need bodies down there. And if you all can get there, you know, I'm not saying to go. I'm not saying not to go. But what I'm saying is they they need help. And, you know, besides standing in solidarity with them and posting things and getting information to the right people, sending in resources and, you know, whether that's, you know, um, goods or services that they need or money, but um, something has to be done about this. And especially when you have these, you know, white militia men coming in there and waving their fully automatic weapons at the folk. And when the people start walking up to these militiamen, they get scared and start backing away and pointing a gun everywhere, but they're scared. And so, you know, and that can create an even more hazardous situation. I mean, you know, they were releasing the dogs on those people, firing, you know, um, rubber bullets, you know, and you got these idiots out here trying to fire real bullets, you know, and they did. You know, so people, mass arrests, you know, people have been hurt. Um, you know, just be careful. You got to be very, very careful in in that type of situation. But the Standing Rock Sioux, they're receiving, you know, solidarity and you know, well wishes with people from all over the world. You know, what's so interesting is, you know, the UN and NATO, they've sent people in to oversee what's going on down there. And so, you know, I've been sitting here looking at these politicians giving their non-answers, you know. So Hillary Clinton basically said that people have a right to peacefully protest. However, these other people still have the right to do their jobs, you know. And and so, you know, there's really a non-answer that she's giving there, you know. But nobody wants to talk about how the treaty (laughs) was violated and broken. And what's really happening, you know, with the oil spills and the contamination of not only the water but the soil and the air, all of that is going to take place. And so... You know, they someone wrote an article, I forget who it was, but it basically broke down all the people that would make money from this particular pipeline. So, you know, you have your regular people like Bank of America and, of course, Donald Trump has ties to a lot of these businesses. So we know he's probably going to make money on it. And I'm using the word probably because I haven't had a chance to really go and research to see how deep his pockets are as far as this particular um, situation is concerned. But 
again, he's going to be the law and order president, which means basically he's going to tell them to beat the hell out of the protesters. He doesn't want nobody protesting nothing. He just wants you to do as you're told, right? So, you know, guys, because I know some more people that are gearing up and heading out to, you know, Standing Rock. And um, like I tell you guys, you know, I hope you have your um, your solar power storage units and things like that because you can only get signals certain places, you know, out there. They have one hill they call Facebook Hill. And so I guess that's where they can get the signal and be able to upload information and all of that. And so, you know, for many of us, we're kind of stuck to these electronics. And so besides having, you know, um, power um, energy storage pods, you need to get some solar ones as well. You know, get you some solar radios and things like that because, anyway, you all know how that stuff works. You know, you don't even need it if you're not, you know, you, you can use it even if you're not going to Standing Rock. It's something nice to have. You know, last thing you want to do is to be out in the middle of nowhere and your phone dies. So, um, I don't know, guys. You know, what's happening down there? Yeah. No, they need help. They need some help. And like I said, for some people, you know, all you could probably do is put the information out there and you know, and, and share it with people, you know, send words of encouragement, you know, Facebook, tweet at them, what have you, and that's fine because other people will see that and other folks will retweet you or share the information, you know, and so that's a form of assisting as well. But, you know, it's, it's a lot of stuff um, happening. You know, I just need for you all to um, – you know, kind of understand what's happening there. And, you know, again, understand what you're walking into. I'll put it this way. So, um, yeah, it's been interesting. Um, you know, even before I took last Sunday off, I've had people asking me questions about, you know, this Nate Parker but before I get started on that, I'm going to give you all a quote um, by Martin Luther King Jr. And it says, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. And um, I think that's something that we all need to understand. I mean, life happens. Shit will beat you down. And you're sitting there and you're like, the hell is really going on around these parts, you know? But um, I don't know, just some of the shit that we've been dealing with for the last couple of years, but especially this year with this election, man, I'm just beat. You know, I want them both to lose, but that's not how that works, you know? And I just really want it to be over. But, you know, complacency, hmm, apathy, you know, that's not the place. This is not the time and place for it. But, you know, this shit is just crazy. It really is. 
you know, we're living through this. I, none of us have ever seen anything like this. But what I will tell you guys to do is you can go back and look look in history <laughs> and look at some of the campaigns, you know, that were run by, you know, former presidents. And, you know, they were cutting each other up in a newspaper then. I mean, you know, you can look up yellow journalism. You know, they they had situations in which some of the people who were running for president were, um, were basically called mulatto, said that they had Negro blood in them. And, you know, that was an insult then. I mean, hell, you know, to a lot of people, that's a damn insult now. So, you know, what we're seeing is not necessarily out of the ordinary per se. It's just that it's a whole lot coming at you a lot faster than it was. So go back. Read some of those old newspapers. You know, they were tripping. They were cutting for blood. So, yeah, you know, just, you know, if you got some time, just go and, um, you know, take a look. Go and take a look at what's happening there. So, man, so, yeah, I had started about that damn movie, but I don't want to talk about that yet. You know, I'll get to that. But, um, yeah, yeah, hmm, I think I want to talk about something that's happening in the atheist community. Now, there's been a whole bunch of shit going on over there. And like I said, we're just sitting back, and we're watching this, and we're laughing our asses off and pointing our fingers at these folks because we told you years ago what the hell was going to happen, and we were right. So, you know, it's so much that I could cover, I just don't want to. So the one thing that I will talk about is, you know, Teresa McBain. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with Teresa McBain, Teresa McBain was a former minister of the law, and she came out as an atheist at one of the American Atheist Conferences, conventions, whatever they call them. And I believe that was 2012. I believe it was 2012, and basically, it's just been so much. You know, she had been um, selected to go to Harvard to be, you know, a humanist chaplain or what have you, whatever was going on up there. And come to find out, there was a big old write-up about her all over the place. You know, a lot of promise. You had the pomp and circumstance. You know, you had the atheist community. Like, yeah, we took one from them. She's now with us. Ha, 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 ha. And then come to find out that she kind of fudged a little bit about her academic credentials. Now, personally, I don't give a shit about anything like that. If you can do the job, you can do the job, period. However, because this was handled so publicly and the takedown was handled so publicly, you know, they had to rescind the offer. And so before she had accepted that particular assignment, you know, well, no, she earned the job, end quote. And, 
And so basically they were in limbo because they moved from Florida on their way up to Massachusetts, and that's when all hell broke loose. And so she kept a low profile for a while, but I remember Raina and I, we did a show talking about this specifically. And we actually had a lot of sympathy for Teresa McBank. And you know what? That still holds true to this day for me. Now, you know, I want to talk about, you know, I really want to go into her white privilege, affording her uh, several opportunities, but I'm just going to make a long story short. She has now returned to the flock. So she's back in church feeding her religious flock, and, you know, there wasn't a lot of fanfare or pomp and circumstance when she left. You know, I believe she had, you know, was working on some type of Sunday assembly thing or whatever the hell was going on but with their atheist church. But, um, yeah, so now she's gone back into the ministry. She has been re-dipped in the blood of the Lamb. And all of that good, fun stuff. But like I said, I actually do have a lot of sympathy for her. Because a few years ago when we addressed what happened with the credentials, you know, I I made a comment. And I, that held true then, and it still holds true now. Honey, they used you. Period. The other way around it, you were used. And, I mean, nobody wants to feel like they've been used, especially used and then discarded like a snotty piece of tissue, right? But, yeah, that's exactly what happened, you know. And, you know, so people got upset with me and Raina for calling this type of stuff out. But we've been keeping this pimp game for a while. And we have been out here. We have been telling you guys we've been setting off the flares and the fireworks, and people got angry, saying that it was negative to be pointing out all this shit happening in the atheist community. But yet, these are some of the same people that get angry at believers for covering their pastors, for covering their ministers, for covering their, you know, evangelists, so on and so forth. So you want them to expose each other, you know, the believers, but you want to cover your people over here. And trust me when I say there have been a lot of cover-ups, a lot, you know, and but, you know, we're supposed to keep it in the family. We're supposed to discuss this, you know, in-house. If something happens, send them an email or give them a call or find someone who can get the information, but do not handle it publicly. Hmm. And then people wonder why I say that the atheist community is the same as the religious community. It's just a mirror image because they're over here setting up the same hierarchies that are established on the religious side. You know, and I'll never understand why some of these folks file lawsuits against people. You know, it was this one situation in which um, this family, one of their children, you know, had been killed on a highway. So they had little crosses up there and little flowers in remembrance 
of, you know, the child that had been lost. And this is, a, you know, an adult, but it was still their child. And you had some atheists sue this family to take, you know, that memorial to, to just wipe it out because they didn't want to drive down the street or down the highway and see the crosses. That's bullshit. Leave these people alone. If that is how they can find some type of peace and come to terms with what had happened to them, you know, that little cross ain't bothering nobody. Oh, roses and flowers and teddy bears, you know, and I just, I don't get it. But anyway, like I said, you know, Raina and I, we set the flares and fireworks off years ago. So now we're just sitting back and we're looking and we're watching and we're laughing and we have a whole bunch of a whole bunch of shit to say about a whole bunch of stuff, but we won't. Why? Because we think at this point we're just gonna let you all learn the hard way. You know, because when we did bring it to your attention, some of you got mad. Ah, they're just being negative, and la, 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 and and people can reform themselves. People can change. Yeah, they can, but not because you said so. It's because of a concerted effort on their end. So anyway, like I said, Teresa McBain, honey, we wish you the absolute best. Um, You were used, and I think you understand that by now. But what I want to tell you is that, you know, there are some good people out there. But next time you jump into the fire, you need to look both ways, really all four ways, north, south, east, and west. You know, because there are people who profited and capitalized off of you and your name. And in turn, you know, you pretty much got burned. And, I mean, it's some shit in your game, too. We know about some of this other shit, but, you know, again, that this shit just happened so publicly. But, yeah, you were used. And so for those who are interested in listening to what Raina and I had to say, I would ask you to please go and enjoy the archives. And I'm going to end up revisiting some of those old shows and topics, but it's going to be done at my leisure and discretion. You know, over the past several years, you know, I've done a lot of growing. And so I have to go back and listen to those shows. And, um, you know, we'll figure out what to do from there. But like people told me when I was younger, they said, live a little, baby. You'll understand. And that I have done. You know, the best teacher is experience. And like I said, live a little, and one day you will see what I see. Okay, so that's all I pretty much have to say about that. You know, so again, (laughs) you know, her white privilege afforded her the ability to pretty much walk away from this unscathed, if you will. And so, you know, again, this is just, It's a mess. So anyway, like I said, guys, go out there, do some research, look this shit up. You know, you'll find out a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about, and and just keep digging. Keep digging. 
And so I'm going to go ahead and talk about this damn Nate Parker shit. You know, because I've had, yeah, what is your opinion on it? La, 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 and hearing all the accusations going left and right about Nate Parker and this Nat Turner story. All right. So, first and foremost, Nate Parker was acquitted. That doesn't mean he didn't do it. But he was acquitted. And so, you know, number one, you have to understand the difference between a criminal, you know, trial or criminal charges versus civil charges, you know, lawsuits and what have you. But, um, you know, with a civil lawsuit to be a preponderance of the evidence, with a criminal, you know, criminal suit or a criminal um, um, case, basically, you know, if there is a, you know, shadow of a doubt, you know, if there are any doubts in it, then they are acquitted, right? You know, and so that is what happened. There were doubts that were raised in that particular case, and that is how he was acquitted. And please understand, acquitted is not the same as not guilty. Okay, so let's put that in place. So, you know, you have people out here, you know, rate, you know, waving that flag around about him being acquitted. And then you have some of those same people, and then you got some other folks saying that, well, she was a white woman. Now, let me just go on ahead and say this and get this out the way. I don't give a damn if she was white or not. No woman, no girl, no man, no boy, you know, no cat, no dog, no jackass. Nobody deserves to be treated that way. You know, sharing her like she a goddamn Kit Kat with your friends. No! How the fuck does that shit work? And she was inebriated. You fucking knew better. You just took advantage of a situation. Okay, and, you know, you know, stop blaming this on black feminists, and I am so tired of black women being thrown under the bus, you know, and it happens time and time again, you know, with Sandra Bland, you know, they were trying to throw her under the bus, Korean gangs trying to throw her under the bus, you know, all of these different women out here, you know, and, and what's so interesting, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. I promised myself not to do that. But, um, yeah, you know, black women being thrown under the bus, but you want us <laughs> to yell from every mountaintop when something happens to black men. And so, you know, one of the conspiracy theories that are out there basically says that, you know, there was no hoopla over any of his other movies. But since this movie was talking about Nat Turner and they believe that the powers that be didn't want us to see that movie, right? Or wanted to discourage us from, you know, spending money on seeing that movie. And I have to kind of disagree with that. Why? This was a Hollywood movie made with American money, American style. Do you really think they were going to show the real deep 
you know, feelings and information and history of that time. I just want you to think about this. This was not an independent movie. This was not an indie. So, you know, you know, I like talking about how, you know, black history is being whitewashed. And in a lot of cases, you got a lot of ahistorical bullshit going on and being passed around misinformation. You think this was an exception? You know, and so, you know, <laughs> I just want you to take a look at it, you know, because basically some of the shit that we're dealing with now you know, you got some people out here angry with all of these grassroots and community movements that are going forward. And I'm like, you know, if if they were going to tell the real story, do you, man, this is just some bullshit. They're not going to tell the real story. This is a sanitized version of what happened with Nat Turner. Don't fool yourself into believing that they were going to tell you the real deal. That's not going to happen. You know, they're already having meltdowns because the colors, you know, starting to think that we equal and shit. You know, and so, <laughs> you know, and they want to calm down the masses, you know, get the refugees back under control. You know, and again, like I said, they don't call your lawyer. They don't, you know, the black folks, they don't call lawyers for us. They don't call publicists for us. They call your pastor. And I want you to think about that shit. White folks be breaking out with doctors, lawyers, publicists, you know, spokes folks, right? But, you know, our pastors come out. This is just some bullshit, y'all. And you know what? I think I'm getting ready to pass on this and move the fuck around because it's just so much bullshit to that story. I don't feel like dealing with it. But since I'm talking about whitewashed history and a historical bullshit, you know, <laughs> You know, when are we going to learn? And I know some of you all are probably saying, when are we going to learn what, Kim? Yeah, I get it. When are we going to (laughs) learn how to just look at this shit for what it is? You know, just think back, well, not so recent past. You know, you had Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Muhammad Ali, and I'm just going to use those three for right now. Oh, yeah, but I got to go back to Nate Parker one more time. Uh, if he would have listened to Oprah and Gail, his movie would have been all right. He would have been able to weather that storm. But he he thought he was smarter and he knew better. So that's the end of that. So anyway, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Muhammad Ali. So, you know, I'm talking about the whitewashing of history. And this has been done. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, about 10, 20 years from now, when we see pictures of, you know, Malcolm, Martin, and Muhammad Ali, they're probably going to be looking real good and white, right? And so... What I find interesting is when these people were alive and speaking their truth to the masses, black, white, red, yellow, purple, green, whatever, they were vilified, they were demonized, 
they were hated. But when they died or they were muted or they were silenced, then all of a sudden they loved these people because they really hated them so Muhammad Ali. You know, but after these people died or when Muhammad Ali could no longer speak, you know, then all of a sudden they they loved them. And, you know, putting all these quotes, you know, we followed Malcolm X, what he said here, and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, they're whitewashing the shit and, and, and basically interpreting it in a way that would absolve them of some of their white guilt, if you will. And so I just need for you guys to go back, go back, go look at this shit. It's so funny. Some of the same white people who were holding Muhammad Ali up when he passed away this year were the same ones talking mad shit and putting down, you know, some of the black people that have been killed by the police. You know, they loved Muhammad Ali when he couldn't talk, and especially when he died, but they hate Black Lives Matter. They hate the Black Panther Party. They hate Black Youth Project. They hate all of these different community and grassroots organizations out here. So, you know, how are you celebrating radicals and revolutionaries while hating the new up-and-coming radical and revolutionaries that you made? You all are the ones who create radicals and revolutionaries. White supremacy, white privilege, this entitlement bullshit, that is what happens. That, that is what creates this certain group of people. You know, and it's just so funny, you know, when I start looking at this shit. And um, it's unfreaking believable unfreaking believable and just looking at what's happening now with Donald Trump and we're talking about those damn emails again and you know it's it's funny but you know when I look at Donald Trump's followers you know um you know a quote from W.E.B. Du Bois comes to mind it says to stimulate wildly weak and untrained minds is to play with mighty fires and again, to stimulate wildly weak and untrained minds is to play with mighty fires. And I believe that's where we are right now. You know, and you have people out here that, um, child, their minds are so fucking twisted, I can't even begin to, I don't understand it. You know, it takes a lot for me to throw my hands up and walk away from some shit. But, you know, some of the stuff that's going on out here, and especially the stuff that's not being reported in the mainstream news. And this is why I encourage you guys to read, you know, um, magazines, articles, blogs from people in other countries, you know, reputable. And um, you can even watch some of their news stations, you know, on the Internet. You just got to look for it. You know, when I was in France, you know, I kept it on BBC, and um, it's just it's been it's been interesting. And so there's a quote from Theodore Allen. And for those of you who are familiar with Theodore Allen, 
Um, he was definitely an anti-ra- anti-racism activist. And Dr. Jeffrey Perry has written a lot and shares a lot of the information from Theodore Allen, who happens to be a white man. And Dr. Jeffrey Perry is a white man, but he also has covered Hubert Henry Harrison, also known as the Black Socrates, you know, so, you know, Triple H was a black man. But anyway, you know, this this quote here says, the false belief that equality can somehow be achieved without disturbing traditional white skin privileges has provided a sanctuary for liberal white supremacist thinking. And again, the false belief that equality can somehow be achieved without disturbing traditional white skin privileges has provided a sanctuary for liberal white supremacist thinking. That's true. And then some of you get upset when I start going in on progressive liberal whites. This is just one of the examples of why. And some of the things, you know, guys, I just need for you to think a little harder, open your eyes a little wider. But it really doesn't matter because, you know, the best way to hide something from someone is to put it in plain view of that person. And they won't see it. You know, but you got a lot of people, you know, some folks like to say waking up. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things that need to be changed, you know, in this system. And it's so interesting because um, Kathleen Cleaver said, you know, they were dealing with a monster then, you know, but what we're dealing with is a beast. And, you know, I hear so many people talking about how the system is broken, and how we need to go and re you know revamp it. But the thing is the truth of the matter is the system is not broken and it's never been broken. It was built this way. It was built this way on purpose. You know, and so <laughs> you know it's gonna we're gonna have to do things a little differently because like I said, we've been studied all the way down to our toenails. So they pretty much know how we're going to react to certain things, you know, and I've I've been talking about that for a while, but, you know, I'm going to go ahead and start segueing into, you know, today's topic. And so basically, you know, uh, with today's show, you know, again, you know, it's geared toward, and I see you call it, give me a second here is geared toward white Christian America and, you know, hope and change the white cisgendered heterosexual male style. So, you know, the good old boy network. And so cisgendered means, you know, a man, you know, that was born as a man and heterosexual, you know, I pretty much think you all know what that means. So, um, yeah, the good old boy network. Hope and change, white man style, right? It was so interesting, this Donald Trump thing is he is like the Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton 
of, you know, the working class and poor white community. Ain't that some shit? And so, you know, I want you all, I mean, I know I come from a lot of different angles, you know, when I'm talking about, you know, these things. But I think it's important that you guys, you know, look at this from a number of perspectives. It's important for you to read articles and and writings and works from people that you disagree with. Because how can you create a counter-argument? you know, a rebuttal when you don't know what the hell you're rebutting against and you don't understand what other people are seeing and how they're thinking. So let's see here. Let's go on and pick up this call. Let's see who's here. 612. May we ask who's calling? Yeah, good afternoon, ma'am. My name's Robert. How are you doing? I'm good, Robert. How are you? Doing good. Uh, it's a great topic that you brought up. Uh, it's really fa- you brought up some great points. Really fascinating stuff. Um, could maybe though maybe a concept. Maybe we could discuss like I feel as though you're looking at history from through a prism of things like justice, equity, and fairness. Would that would that be fair to say? Um, that would definitely be fair to say, and I can even give you a quote for it. You know, from W. E. B. Du Bois. Rule following, legal precedence, and political consistency are not more important than right, justice, and plain common sense. Okay, and the reason I brought that up is, and this is something I see because, for for example, like myself, I used to share the view that you have. Um, right now, I'm 29 now, and up until the age of 22, I I would have been like lock and step with everything that you're presenting. And then as I started to get older, I started you know, research things, especially history in particular, and I noticed something very interesting about history. I think a word that to define human history is the most accurate to sum up what it's really all been about would be the word competition. And what I mean by that is that when you actually analyze all world history, not just the Americas or Europe, but actually every continent and different, every culture groups and all the different primarily see is competition over land, resources, and power. And everyone engaged in something where I like to, a, a word I use called the conquest ethic. What I mean by that is if they were in a position to say, take something from a weaker group, people went and did that. And I was, and for myself being African, I really did. I really noticed this when I studied African history and how um, there were several major empires and, and, and people groups that would rise up and take over vast majorities of territories and take over weaker groups within that. And they would subjugate them and oftentimes enslave them. And I was blown away how long slavery actually lasted in Africa. And um, right. in particular, when the Arabs came from the Middle East, and they really you know, pushed slavery to another level. But, and then also, also exactly. when I studied Asia, too, I, I saw the same thing. And so what I, yes. and then I went and actually studied European history, and I was really fascinated with European history in the sense that you know, most, most white Americans aren't actually really familiar with what actually went, went on in Europe. A lot of them don't understand that most of their ancestors, in particular England, France, Germany, uh, were basically mud hut living hunter gatherers that painted their faces and worshipped, you know, plants and statues and all kind of, you know, stuff that people associate exactly. with other parts of the world. Yeah, no, you're talking but about the hap- white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, exactly. Right, and then what happened? What I noticed is that the Romans came from the south and conquered and subjugated. 
uh, that those those people groups for a long time. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of years, and they did it actually very. I remember reading about how in England, for example, the Romans would go into cities, burn them down, kill all the men, rape the women, and make them their sex slaves, uh-huh. and then they would take their children as their own personal slaves. And during times of famine, exactly. they would they would uh, go to these people groups. We're talking about the England, French, German, the whole you know the traditional European people, and they would go to them and they would tell them in order to get food, they would tell them to sell their children to the Romans as slaves in exchange for dog meat. This is the type of status that they had under Roman rule. And what right. they ended up doing was over time, uh, they actually integrated with the Romans and many of them actually fought as mercenary troops for the Romans. And during that time period, many of them went on to become high ranking generals and they learned a lot of the Roman tactics and they, and they learned how to use and develop Roman uh, weaponry and everything. And eventually they rose up and actually conquered and, and overthrew Rome itself. And so out of that, out of that co- competitive mode, they then went worldwide in their conquest to try to take over a vast majority of the world because, as you know, Europe has a limited amount of land and resources, whereas places like Africa, Asia, North and South America are abundant in land and resources. And so the Europeans right, were you know, they, pressured. They were... To go out. Yeah. Well, basically, well, basically, they were barbarians and conquerors. That's what it all boils down to. Well, ev- everybody was actually, if you actually examine it. I mean, the Asians had, mm-hmm. for example, take the Mongols out of Mongolia. They were some of the most. If you want, if you want to talk about barbaric, I mean, they would probably be the most barbaric ever in history. I mean, they went and conquered from China all the way to Europe, and they did it. Right. They would go in and they would absolutely annihilate everybody. I mean, they would kill everything. And they would they had, they had a scorched earth campaign, and same thing in Africa. A lot of people don't realize we saw similar movements in Africa where you had large people groups, large military and imperialistic groups that would rise up and take over vast amount of territory and would kill everybody and enslave huge amount of people. Like when the Europeans came to Africa, let's remember they didn't come to Africa and just take people; they were buying people from other Africans. You know, and so it, it, we have to understand that the world was all about competition. And so, for me personally, I, I used to have the feeling of, well, white people have to apologize for things they did; they have to feel guilty. Then, when I started examining history, I realized not quite, because it would be like saying some, it would be like taking football, for example, the NFL as an as an, as an analogy, and saying that the Super Bowl champion would have to turn around and apologize to the other thirty-two teams for beating them at the same game that they were all trying to play. I have to disagree there for the simple fact that um, white people in America, they have benefited from then and now the slave trade. Um, They've been in, I mean, even now when they were doing the research, you have like all state insurance, which, you know, also profited from the slave trade. In addition to that, they they benefited from, you know, Jim Crow. They benefit from institutionalized and systemic racism. They benefit from it, even though it was their forefathers or their ancestors who, you know, had the slaves. And, you know, you get the argument from a lot of people, well, I didn't have slaves just because my great-great-grandfather had a slave. What does that have to do with me? The money has been passed down. And, you know, one of the other issues with that is, you know, and I mean, I understand where you're coming from. There's some truth to that. But at the end of the day, the system as it stands right now was built 
to, you know, basically to oppress people of color, specifically black people. And if you go back and you look into history, you know, like Donald Trump with his so-called New Deal for the blacks, you know, which I'm going to get into a little bit later. But basically, you know, even with the New Deal, the New Deal at that time, blacks were voting Republican. And the Democrats, the home of the KKK, you know, along with the Dixiecrats, they were the racist ones. And so in order for the New Deal to have been passed, you know, FDR had to make a contract with the Democrats and the Dixiecrats, basically stating that, you know, while we have these programs out there, and this is a federal law, that they were going to push the monies down to the states so that the states could administer it any way that they saw fit. And by doing that, they were still able to discriminate against, you know, black people. And, you know, that has been happening. Go and look up the Southern strategy, and that is still happening to this day from Jim Crow to, again, systemic and and institutionalized racism. They still benefit from this. And so what we're talking about is leveling the playing field. Actually, you know, if you look at the economics of it, you know, we act, this country would benefit more from leveling, you know, the, the playing field, from, you know, dealing with the wealth inequality, dealing with the racial parity, dealing with all of these different things, but they won't. Why? Because they have created this hierarchy, this, this social construct called race. Because what a lot of people don't understand is that, you know, the early settlers that came to this country, they they didn't see each other as white. They saw themselves and each other as an Irishman, a German, you know, a right, Dutchman, exactly. whatever, you know. And so when Which they, is why they when discriminated they against Irish people when they came to America, for, as, an, as an example. Yes, the, um, the Irish people they are they are actually at the lower rung on the hierarchy right. of whiteness because see this exactly. is the thing if if they were to kick all the Latino and all the black people out of this country they just start fighting each other why because even though it's a silent understood yeah, it's, open it's human. secret. Yeah, well, I mean, but they understand that there is a hierarchy, and at the bottom of that hierarchy are the Irish people and Italians from southern Italy, because they are dark, right. not the ones from northern yeah, the Italy. Asians, the Asians southern. do the same thing. For example, Asians, exactly. um, the Chinese look down upon people from Vietnam and Cambodia and that are Hmong, and the Mexicans do the same thing. The Mexicans look down upon the Central Americans. Like if you're from El Salvador, Mexicans think El Salvadorians are below them. In Africa, we see the same thing. For example, I'm from Ethiopia, and in my country, we have four different primary ethnic groups. The Amhara have always been the ruling class, and they usually have, they've always discriminated against the Orma, which are actually the majority of the population. And so every culture, everyone on the planet does that. That's why I said it's human nature. People tend to want to separate and join up with people that they agree with and then go against people that they're not. And that's human nature. But to your point, when you talked about the issue about the benefits and this, I, I used to say the same thing. When I, was at, when I was 22, I used to always make that same argument against white people, especially in college when I would debate them on this issue. I came to realize this, this issue of competition is that the Europeans were playing the same game everybody else was playing. They just happened to win the game. That's why I brought up the football analogy, is that everyone engaged in the conquest ethic. In Africa, they were engaging in the conquest ethic. This, that's why they were selling blacks to Europeans in order to get guns and different resources to, to against other African groups. The Asians were doing the exact same thing where, for example, the Ming Dynasty brutally enslaved most of Southeast Asia and used them as their labor force. 
for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so everyone has done this. So what the Europeans did here in America is not unique in history. It's just for us, it's the most recent. And so that's why I have such a more of an emphasis, but it's not unique in the sense that everybody engaged in that behavior. It just so happens to be that the Europeans won because they had a military edge because they developed their weaponry faster than everybody else did, which is because of the competition in Europe, which forced them to have to do it because they had such a small amount of land and such small resources, and they had to fight amongst each other so much that they had much greater pressure to develop their weaponry. That's what gave them the edge when it came to the world conquest. Right. I mean, I understand what you're saying there. You know, they, they had to do it faster. They had to be more efficient. But you're saying that it's a competition. And But the thing is, is that, it, yes, it was a competition. However, <laughs> when, you know, white people had a cleared path to run and get to the end, to the finish line, black people, we had shackles, we had, you know, <laughs> bricks tied to us, all of that. So, you know, yeah, the competition, you know, it was a competition there, but they want to claim that it's equal, but they put all these obstacles. They got to hop over barbed wire and all of this. Well, of White yeah, because there has to be a loser shot. for there to be a winner, right? I mean, anytime you have a winner, there's well, going to be a loser. But the, but the is thing is, is that it's not so much. But it's not so much about having a loser and a winner. It's about one side has a clear path, and the other side has all of these different obstacles that they have to get over, go around. Well, think about what you just top. said. The clear path is oh, a path I thought about what I just said. That's winning. why I said. For example, you're, if you're talking about now, of course, it's a different circumstance. Now, we're talking about at the time when these things were building up. The Europe, it's not like the Europeans fell into their power. They went out and earned it through military conquest. They went and fought people no. and took over their land. Well, no, That's I wouldn't different. say that they earned it through. I wouldn't say that they earned it through military conquest. You know, well, they didn't earn you get anything. It without... They took it. They that's, that's what they I just said. That's what military conquest, ma'am. That's what, con- but they pers- that's what military but conquest do, is. You it know, is taking it. Well, I, I mean, I understand what military conquest okay. is. You know, you're talking so to someone who was once formerly in the military, and so you know that whole thing right there. You know, again, they took it, they stole it, kills, you know, steal and destroy. You know, barbarianism and conquerors. That is what we're dealing with. And so, again, like I said to you all before, deny, derail, and deflect. You know, that's what that shit is built on. So, anyway, getting back to uh, what I was saying and where I was going with this earlier, and I was talking about America and some of the, you know, some of the habits that they have, you know. And so even during the Civil Rights Movement, And when I'm talking about the Civil Rights Movement, I'm talking about even before Martin Luther King Jr., you know, a lot of people, you know, are basically misguided or misunderstanding. They believe that the Civil Rights Movement began with Martin Luther King Jr. No, Civil Rights Movement began when the first slave tried to escape. So anyway, so what I want you to do is I want you guys to go and do some research Because when the civil rights movement was, you know, beginning to catch on in this country as well as other places, but, you know, for the most part here in this country, what they did was they had to create some type of diversion to take some of the power and some of the attention away 
from the civil rights movement because it was starting to hit its stride. And so, you know, that's when they came up with the Red Scare and the McCarthyism. And for those of you who want to do some more research on that, go back and take a look at when they decided to add in God We Trust to the coins as well as the paper currency. But what they did is with the McCarthyism and the Red Scare, it overshadowed the civil rights movement. And we're seeing some of the same things happening now. So I need for you guys to pay attention. I just sit back and laugh because it's like, you know, at first, you know, when I was younger, you had all these different groups. And now that I'm older, it's the same groups, but the name just changed. You had Al-Qaeda, ISIS, the Muslim Brotherhood, the Taliban, you know, and, and even now what's happening is, you know, with this so-called um, tensions with Russia and the Philippines, you know, and even what's going on over there in Syria, you know, and so all of this is being put up front to kind of divert attention from what is happening with these, you know, these different movements and some of the gains, but the thing is, is that, you know, is with, along with gains, you're going to have some losses. So I just want you guys to pay attention to how this may end up looking, you know, what is looking like they're putting in place now. So this is not the first time, you know, this has happened. As a matter of fact, um, there were some books out there. I just bought some books. Let me see here. Um, you know, bought a book talking about the Red Scare and the book Civil Rights Movement and yeah, I know. I got a lot of books, guys, and I always tell you guys to buy this, buy that. But you can always find some of these books um, on the Internet for free or next to free, and sometimes you can buy them for a dollar, different places. Okay, so the name of the book that I just purchased, Black Struggle, Red Scare, Segregation and Anti-Communism in the South. 1948 through 1968 by Jeff R. Woods. So, you know, I'm waiting on that to, you know, make its way here. But, you know, just some of the things that I want you guys to think about and to go and research and look over to get a better understanding of, um, you know, what's going on out here. And so, you know, we see all of this happening now at one of the Donald Trump rallies. Um, they were talking to this one man who was openly racist and, you know, openly white nationalist, you know, and, you know, he was saying some really offensive stuff, but the thing is, is that he had a number of people, you know, agreeing with him. And, you know, you all have, <laughs> you all have seen what the hell Donald Trump has awakened. You all have seen this. And so, you know, when I sit back and I look at some of this nationalism and, you know, the bullshit that goes with it, it's like a cult within itself. And so, I mean, like I said, you know, you have NATO, UN, Sydney people over here. They're not doing it for no reason at all. You know, it's, it's being done with, you know, for, for a reason. And so when I wrote up the storyboard for today's show, you know, I was talking about, you know, examining what fuels white Christian Americans. 
And I wrote, the RNC offers angry white Americans hope for yesteryear that they have romanticized and a return to the Jim Crow society that they have longed for. The Messiah that they have prayed for has manifested. They now have their very own Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, and Whiteface to speak truth to power. Their newly arisen Pied Piper is leading a ticker tape parade to the White House to make America great again. He has delivered his sermon on the Mount at Gettysburg. You know, he too has a contract or covenant that he wants America to make with him. He too has a new deal for the blacks. He too has jobs for our immigrants, legal or otherwise, to build the wall he intends to toss them over. He too has a plan to destabilize our economy. He too has a plan to vilify and demonize those he has labeled as degenerates and subversives. He too wants to rid our country of political correctness. And then I said, they too shall overcome. And, you know, if you all haven't been paying attention today in the Washington Post, basically they published that this is down to a one-point race, that Hillary and Donald, only one point separating them, you know, and you have so many points, give or take, you know, the margin of error. And so this, either way it goes, black people, we're screwed. You know, whether it's with or without KY Jelly, we're still freaking screwed. And, again, you know, go back, look at this, and <laughs> pay attention to what's happening. You know, people hear me when I start talking about the plantation politics, you know, but this goes all the way back to those times. And this is why, you know, if you guys get a chance, go and look up, you know, Theodore Ware. And look up, you know, some of his information because talks about he did a lot of research into this as to how the social construct of race was implemented because initially it was rejected by white people. They initially rejected until a system of privileges were put in place that if you were considered white, then you would have certain privileges. And that is when it began to take on a life form, you know, itself. So, again, you know, they separated the poor whites from, you know, the working black folks or the slaves and basically, you know, enlisted the poor whites as enforcers. And this is what we talk about when we start talking about the militia and the Second Amendment and the police of today and why it should be abolished. You know, there's a lot of research that has gone into this. And so, you know, like I said, it's a lot to learn. There's a lot of information out there. And, you know, um, it's, it's just funny, but... Yeah, so what was interesting, another thing that's been interesting to me is some of the women that are in Camp Trump, basically they were stating that, you know, Hillary is a woman and she has no business trying to be president and she has no business trying to rule over men. Now, for those of you who are, you know, familiar with Christianity, 
you know, there were some scriptures that basically stated that women were supposed to stay out of the pulpit, that it was a man's job. And it's, it's really interesting because these were from the so-called writings of Paul. And a lot of that, you know, Paul didn't write that. So you got to go back and do your history on that. But, you know, when I talk to Christians about some of the things that they believe, you know, they, many of them are, how can I put it, are spouting off or repeating the gospel of Paul. And when you bring in the gospel of Jesus, quite a few of them reject it. And it's just really interesting when you start pointing these different things out. If someone wants to have that conversation with me, that's fine, you know, and I can kind of outline that. But, yes, yeah, the most part, you know, most many Christians are followers of Paul as opposed to being followers of Christ. So, um, you know, if they threw out everything that Paul wrote in the Bible, they would have a very different perspective on life. But, um, again, yeah, you have some women and some men out here, you know, stating that Hillary has no place as the president, you know, or in the White House or what have you, because that's a man's job. And, again, that is that patriarchy, misogyny, bullshit. And while Hillary has some shit, you know, going on on her own, you know, you know, going around starting fights, picking fights, and then selling both sides to weapons, right? And that's that's what we're known for. Um, at the end of the day, you know, she has just as much of a right to run for president as any man. And so when I'm looking at this situation, you know, that's happening here, and especially the anger and the fear that they have of President Obama, and see, that's the thing, you know, we have three different branches of government. Um, we have three different branches of government, the legislative, the judicial, and the executive branch, Right. And so, you know, you have Donald Trump up here making all of these promises, but he doesn't make the law. Congress makes the laws. And so, you know, he's out here, you know, promising people A, B, C, D, and E that he's going to be doing all of these great and wonderful things, you know, because he feels that he's going to be king, you know, yeah, he... He doesn't anyway. I'm just sitting here, and I've looked at what he's been doing. I mean, his Gettysburg address, he went to Gettysburg, you know, and when I first saw that, I was shaking my head because, you know, with some of the behavior, you know, he's acting like a dude boy. And so... I you really I'm I'm having a really hard time accepting that this man could really be this clueless. Personally, I think he's in the background pulling off a mutley, laughing and seeing how much he can get away with, what type of ridiculous antics he can do and get away with and still win. You know, he's pushing the envelope, but you know, again he gave his own little Gettysburg address. And now he has his own contract with America. You know, I guess Nudie Newt, you know, Newt Gingrich gave him that idea because if you guys go back 
and you research contract with America, that was something that Newt Gingrich put forth, and Bill Clinton signed on for that, which was still a disaster for communities of color. But, you know, I want you guys to understand a little bit of the history and where this, you know, where some of this is coming from. But, um, yeah, you know, Donald is talking about he's going to do all these wonderful things, you know, in his first 100 days, you know, all of these different actions. He's going to clean up the corruption and special interest collusion in D.C. So he's going to propose a constitutional amendment to impose term limits on all members of Congress. Second, he's going to, you know, um, is going to be a hiring freeze on all federal employees to reduce the federal workforce through attrition, which is really managed attrition. So when people quit, they will not hire someone to take that person's place. You know, there are a few exemptions, but, you know, that's, that's I want you guys to understand what attrition is, especially managed attrition. And so third, a requirement that for every new federal regulation, two existing regulations must be eliminated. And, you know, you know, a five-year ban on White House and congressional officials becoming federal lobbyists after they leave government service, and a whole bunch of other things. But what I don't see on here. If we're going to go ahead and make a constitutional amendment, then he should be willing to make a constitutional amendment stating that black people are 100% human. You know? Not three-fifths of a human, but five-fifths of a human. 100% human. Why is that constitutional amendment not there? So I'm going to talk about that a lot more on next Sunday's show. Next Sunday is um, Racism American Style. And again, I'm still talking to the white Christian Americans. But yeah, you know, for all you All Lives Matter people, why don't you all put together some petitions online, some petitions going from house to house, and put some pressure on Donald, Hillary, whoever the hell wins, put some pressure on them since we're already going to be making some constitutional amendments. Why can't we just add that into it since all lives matter, right? Y'all know a little black girl from Southside having all these crazy ideas and shit, right? But why is that not possible? So anyway... You know, I'm looking at all this stuff Donald Trump is promising. You know, seven actions to protect American workers. You know, he he wants to renegotiate NAFTA, you know, or withdraw from the deal. But see, this is the thing. (laughs) These corporations have already left. They've already left. Those manufacturing jobs are never coming back. So Donald Trump is blowing smoke up your ass, you know, unless they plan on, you know, again, creating and encouraging innovation in this country, bringing manufacturing back to this country. Um, You know, he said he would withdraw from TPP. 
that's a whole, you know, other situation right there. And, you know, definitely you guys want to go out and read up on TPP and the significance of it and why it has so many people worried. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, I tell people they need to start looking at things, you know, globally because we are in a global economy. And so we have to start looking at things like that, but for us to compete globally, see, this is, you know, where they're leaving a lot of this stuff off. You know, when the Tea Party came into power or started to rise, I'll put it that way, they were talking about jobs for white men, okay? And and that's basically, you know, the foundation of the Tea Party and a lot of these alt-right people, you know, these white nationalists. You know, it's, it's about white men and keeping the conversation centered around white men, you know, patriarchy in action. And, you know, the whole it's one of the reasons why they're upset with um, President Obama because whenever anything tragic happens, whether it's in this country or another country, but specifically here, you know, they look at the president as a father figure, if you will. And he has to come out and, you know, soothe their fears, if you will. And many of them could not see Barack Obama as their father. You know, a little bit he has a little bit too much melanin in his body. And you know, a lot of them are just angry because Barack Obama, you know, by and I'm just talking, you know, about his his persona that's out there, you know, basically having black people believe that they can actually ascend to the highest powers, you know, that, you know, in the world, that we actually could achieve that. And that, you know, showing black people, you know, who are generally disenfranchised on so many different levels, but showing them that there is a way out and actually giving them, you know, some hope and having them believe that they can actually make these changes, that they are good enough, that, you know, they're smart enough, all of these things. No, they don't want that. You know, they want us to subjugate ourselves to be subservient to them and what their needs are. They don't appreciate us challenging the status quo. They don't appreciate us challenging the system as it's set because many of these same people, especially some of your progressive liberal friends there, you know, they claim that they're, you know, out here, they're anti-racist and they're, you know, locking arms with the black people, but in the, at the same time, well, maybe maybe not right now. Or, you know, why the protests? Why the violence? Why are you doing all this? is not the time. And, I mean, if you go back and you look up Martin Luther King, he will tell you about these progressive liberals and how really, for the most part, they're the biggest obstacle. And so what's interesting is, you know, many, many years ago, my viewpoint on a lot of this was a little bit different 
But again, you know, when you know better, you do better. And education will do that to you, you know. And again, I just pick up these books, I read it, do some research on it, other things, you know. But, you know, again, Donald Trump is selling hope and change to angry white people, particularly angry white men. And it's working. You know, his White Lives Matter movement is working. And, um, you know, it's interesting because Joe Walsh, who was, um, you know, a representative from Illinois in the Congress, he lost his seat. But basically he stated that if Donald Trump does not win, that he was going to go and grab his musket, which is a gun. And, you know, him making statements like that, you know, in conjunction with very volatile, you know, political culture that we're living through right now, I'm just sitting, hell, I don't know what the hell to expect. You know, to be honest with you guys, you know, I just know we're screwed one way or the other. Either way it goes, we're screwed. And, you know, but there is pressure that we can put on them for, you know, to make some of these changes. And, you know, again, if all lives truly mattered like you tried to convince us, then you should be the first one in line to sign a petition to make a constitutional amendment stating that black people are 100% human. Period. You know, but you have these people who are basically stating that, you know, I I think some of them, you know, because, I mean, if you all are familiar with it, and I see you, caller, give me a minute, um, when you have a constitutional amendment, the country has to vote on that. And so I'm really curious as to what the vote would look like if we were to have, you know, on the ballot a constitutional amendment making black people 100% human. You know, and so you have all these people, and they're like, well, what book is that in? It doesn't matter who wrote shit and what fucking book. What matters are the laws, which is why you see us pushing for different laws to be changed and for certain systems to be changed. You know, with um, Sandra Bland's family, you know, with, with, you know, the settlement that they came to, you know, in, with the people in Texas, they also pushed for some changes to be made in the laws. Now, I don't know. When I say that, I get chills. Because you all got to think about the significance of that. What they're trying to do is to make sure that there will never, ever be another Sandra Bland, at least in that city. You understand? It's more the principle of the matter than the money. So I want you to go and I want you to look up what Sandra Bland's family fought for. Say her name. And this is something that we should be pushing for 
all across this country, when you have, you know, state violence and state-sanctioned violence happening against, you know, people, whether they're black, Indian, you know, Latino, Asian, white, or what have you, we should start pushing that some some laws are implemented or taken off the books or amended. You know, that's one of the reasons why I gave Hillary Clinton a big middle finger, because she was still trying to protect that crime bill, that piece of shit of legislation that her husband signed. Hold on, let me pull this caller in. Hi, 770. May I ask who's calling? Uh, it's Sarge here. How are you today, ma'am? I'm good. How are you? Fine, thank you. Uh, I found your comment just a moment ago very interesting when you said uh, how you thought an amendment to the United States Constitution might fare if that amendment would propose to make black people 100% human. And I would like to know by what rubric of possible construction could you possibly conclude that under the present Constitution, absent this amendment, that black people are not considered 100% human? Okay. How can any so, reading of this present Constitution cause you to come to any other conclusion than that they are? When it says that I am three-fifths of a person. It doesn't say that. Oh, it doesn't? It doesn't what say does that in say? Article 1, and I know what, what you're What does it say? It doesn't tell say me what that. it says. No, you tell me what it said. Don't tell me it doesn't say that. Tell me what it says. Well, here, I'm going to read it to you. I'll do better than that. I'm going to, quote, read to you exactly what the Excellent. Constitution of the United States says. Just get the read. Representative and direct tax proportion among the several states, which may be included within this union, according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons, free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years, and and excluding Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all other persons. Now, ma'am, I don't know how much clearer it can be that even those other people they're speaking about are persons. Persons are not chimpanzees or baboons or horses. <laughs> okay, so you're saying three-fifths is a whole, right? No, no, it's for purposes of congressional apportionment. It was an anti-slavery measure designed to reduce the influence of slave-holding states in Congress. The slave-holding states oh, yeah, I mean, of course, need to be considered of course, I mean, a complete person for purposes of apportionment do, so they can have right. more. So anyway, like I said, you know, the way that it was set up then was, again, three-fifths of a person, and he's correct when he's talking about making the count for the number of representatives that each state had in the House of Representatives. And they did not count the slaves as whole because of the simple fact that it would have given the southern states um, more control, more of a majority than they wanted them to have. So that part is understood. The, the problem is it still says it in the Constitution. There is no reason why that should still be there. Now I'll take you off mute so you can respond. 
All right. Well, once again, uh, I think it's a, a bit disingenuous of you to try to imply that the framers of the Constitution were trying to maintain that black people were not fully human with the three-fifths clause when it had to do with abortion. That is simply dishonest. Now, as to a matter of removing it from the Constitution, I suppose we could have an amendment to it. After all, the fugitive slave clause is still there, too. You know that, don't you? Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so well, it's still there. The 13th amendment. Go ahead. But, but uh, given the fact that it has been rendered moot by the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments, I really don't see it as necessary. In fact, it might even be instructive to show how far we've come. No, I disagree with that. I feel that it needs to be removed or corrected. And, again, even though, you know, again, when we're talking about when we're looking at it from the lens of when they were trying to put this Congress, put put together our Congress to govern everyone, of course, again, the southern states would have had too much power, and they didn't want that because the southern states would have been counting the slaves as people. And so, I mean, again, it still says three-fifths of a person. Okay. No, it doesn't. It it doesn't say three-fifths of a person. It doesn't say that. What again, does you it said say? something that the Constitution does not say. It does okay. not and say. Again, oh, oh, it and even again, and again, as I stated before, it doesn't you even tell mention, me that it didn't you know, say you that. You tell me what it says. No, dude, you tell me what it amendment. says. You know, you're talking just like, oh, that's wrong. That's wrong. You know, no, tell me what it says. What does it say? Let um, me read it again. Too. I'm going to read it. I'm not going to. I'm going to paraphrase. I'm going to read it directly from the Constitution. Uh, and excluding Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all other persons, three-fifths of all yes, of them that two heretofore were not mentioned in the clause in Article 1, Section 2. Yeah, three they does not qualify of. their status as human yes. beings. Race isn't yes, even does. mentioned in the Constitution until the 15th Amendment. <laughs> I mean, oh, is that is so funny. But it's, I mean, but, I don't know what to yeah, tell you. No, I, mean, I don't the know what to tell you. Look, the framers of the Constitution may have considered maybe, perhaps many of them, and I have no doubt of this, they may have considered black people maybe an inferior species of human, perhaps, and certainly not all of them did, but so, well, I would say, I would say, I would Okay, well, okay, if you say so. <laughs> yeah, I do. Oh, anyway, um, yeah, guys, all right, let's, let's go look it up. Three-fifths. <laughs> and that was the compromise that they made because um, this is really interesting. You know, again, it's called the three-fifths compromise. Go and look it up. Go and look up the 13th Amendment, and that will explain what's happening because they used to count black Americans as three-fifths of a person. That is true. And since, you know, the Constitution doesn't mention race, and this is null and void, then everybody should be more than happy 
to take that type of wording out of the Constitution. And that is what it all boils down to. Thank you for calling. I appreciate that. So um, anyway, I don't got all twisted. Forget what I was talking about last, but um, yeah, guys. So like I said, you know, go back, take a look. You know, with this Donald Trump New Deal for the blacks, that should be interesting. Um, you know, I can post it, but you can go and look it up for yourself. Um, look up Donald Trump's pledge for his first hundred days in office, his contract with America, you know, this whole thing is just absolutely pitiful. I wonder if that guy is a Trump supporter. Something tells me he is. So it's it's interesting. But, yeah, I want you guys to go. And when Donald Trump was talking about, you know, his little new deal for the blacks in this country, um, he said that he wanted to talk about some of the poor neighborhoods and declare them as disaster areas. And I went back and I watched a little bit of this. And basically, you know, it's like he wants to send in more police and all. So it's like he wants to turn it into, you know, militarized zones. And you all need to go back and take a look at this and see what's happening. Uh, We've talked about, quote, unquote, urban renewal, which is nothing but concentrated poverty, and, um, you know, go on out, take a listen, go and read some of this stuff, look it up, because it's it's amazing what he wants to do, and if he wins, something tells me he's going to be able to push that through, but we aren't sure if the House and the Congress are going to, you know, again, remain Republican or if anything is going to change. But I just want you guys to go and take a look and see, um, you know, what's going on. He said he wants to demolish abandoned properties, increase law enforcement presence, which that right there, that's not something that we necessarily need. But, again, his, you know, he portrays the black community as, I, you know, there are no words. I'm actually offended by how Trump portrays the um, the black community. So go out there, take a look. I mean, Hillary is no better. You know, basically, you know, she tries to control the narrative and the conversation. But, you know, some of these emails have shown, you know, how she feels about Black Lives Matter and some of these other people and how basically, you know, they're out here. And they're trying to control the narrative. And so, again, go and read. Go and look it up, you know. And, again, going back to our caller from earlier, you know, go and look it up. The Three-Fifths Compromise. The Three-Fifths Compromise. Look up the 13th Amendment, you know, what it says about slavery, prisoners, and the Constitution. You know, look it up. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, go, you know, it's so funny to me. And so, um, you know, because the, the, how can I put it? Basically, the premise of the caller's argument is trying to say that, you know, that the three-fifths um, categorization of the slaves is a myth. And again, that's, 
Hmm. That's a narrative that's being put forth by, you know, a lot of these conservatives and especially some of these people that are following Trump. But a lot of conservatives are putting that forth. And you have a lot of black people, some black people, you know, that are coming out with this. But again, as I've stated before, some of these same people, some of these same black people that are coming up and making some of these comments and running around following Donald Trump and some of these conservatives, you know, the reason why they get along with white supremacists is because they want, you know, they want white supremacy, but only in blackface. So, yeah, of course they're going to agree on a lot of shit, except that they want to see black people, you know, in charge. So the whole thing, like I said, is funny. Go back, look it up, the three-fifths compromise, and you'll see how all of that came about. But, yeah, it was about putting, basically putting people in office. It was about how when they were basically forming the United States, how each state would get two senators, and the number of representatives that they had was based on their population. And the North basically didn't want the South to have, you know, all of that power to be able to put more people, you know, in the, as representatives because they had the slaves. And so then that is when they decided that they were going to calculate it in that realm as three-fifths of a person. So go, look it up. You know, that's, you know, basic civics. Go and look that information up. So, um, yeah, you know, this shit is funny. But, um, yeah, so, again, like I said, with Donald Trump's, you know, contract with America, you know, and like I said, when he did that Gettysburg address, I wasn't quite sure what the hell was going on with him, you know, and I guess he feels like he's the new Abraham Lincoln going to give the blacks a new deal and um, set them free, liberate them, huh? And it's so funny because he's talking about it being a rigged system. I mean, everything that he has done has been pretty much rigged. And so, again, all he's going to do is replace the, the dishonest, in his in his words, you know, the dishonest people that are... <laughs> in our Congress and, you know, in our government and replace them with people that he wants in there who are going to be loyal and beholden to him. The same shit. Absolutely the same shit. And I just find it funny, definitely hilarious that, um, you know, you get all of this is going on. So, hey, you got to love it. That shit is fucking hilarious. But um yeah guys, you know, next week definitely I will be talking about white Christian America, racism, American style. But yeah, I mean, do you think Eisenhower would appreciate you know Donald Trump's ode to him as well as FDR? Do you think he would appreciate that Donald Trump is putting together a new deal for black America? And see, and this is the thing. You have some people out here that are eating this shit up, right? They're eating it up, 
And what they don't realize, as I stated before, Donald Trump does not make the laws. He doesn't. And so he can come out here and he can make all of these promises, and they never have to come to fruition. Because many Americans, too many of us, have short memories. We forget it, and we're so used to our politicians lying to us that we don't expect anything better. And many times I've stated this, I wanted to kick them all out. I think we should kick them all out and start over. But again, you know, when you have people and they start getting that power and that authority, you know, it starts going to their heads. So it's, it's, you know, (laughs) it's funny, you know, and he knows good and damn well that if he tried to do something specifically for the blacks and the Latinos, that his white supremacists and white nationalist buddies would burn this country up. He knows this, but he also knows he can make these promises because most people do not know and understand how, you know, our government is set up. And, and it's just, this is just sad because it shows us, you know, basically you know, how they've been able to get away with this shit for years. You know, but, um, you know, you got a bunch of folks out here that's thinking that Donald Trump is going to win. And if he wins the popular vote but not the electoral college, then it's going to be a whole different set of crap that we're going to have to listen to and deal with in weeks and months from then. And even if Hillary won the, you know, popular vote, and, you know, the electoral college, you know, they will be challenging it. It will go to court. This is just ridiculous. I'm sitting back and I'm laughing because, you know, the Republicans have stated that if Hillary does win, that, you know, they're basically going to hold up any anyone that she wants to nominate to become, you know, a Supreme Court justice. And even Clarence Thomas spoke out and said something about it which surprised me, but interestingly enough, right after Thomas, um, Clarence Thomas said something, all of a sudden now we got another woman coming out of the woodwork saying that, you know, she had an altercation with him. And it's just, I'm laughing. I am laughing. I'm laughing for a lot of damn reasons, but not because it's funny. So anyway, we got another caller. Let's see how this is. All right, area code three four seven. May I ask who's calling? Hey, Dad. Jimmy Spice calling. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. It's like I've heard um, some of what you're saying, and my approach is twofold to the American crises. One is to deal with it politically, getting involved on a deeper level by running for different local offices. Um, That's for me personally. And by realizing that America and most of Europe are built on black labor, free labor usually, um, black resources, other resources, oil, diamonds, gold, bananas, fish, et cetera, from the Caribbean, from Central and South America, Africa, the Philippines, Papua New Guinea. Without that, and our music and our dance, 
and our religion, because their religions are based on us. The first Jews were black people. Ashkenazi and other white Jews converted a few hundred years ago their ancestors. Christianity is based on Ethiopian and Egyptian mythology and cosmology and religion, and we could go on for 10 years. Um, without us, there would be no them, because they also genetically come from us, whether or not people believe that they were in the mountains, in Caucasus Mountains, and turn white, etc. Um, even the white nationalism is based on us, because without us, they would then have to fight the actual government and the corporations that are the real problem. So that's the 50%. They, they're a losing battle in terms of the truth, but they're winning battle because they have all the guns, weapons, and power. But on the 50% opposite side, my position is open black digital currency, negotiate with Venezuela, China, um, open black radio stations that we actually own the backbone on, not going on the regular World Wide Web, but in the, um, you know, dark web. Right. Um, well, right. in other words, 50%, it's like investing in, in any uh, stock market. You don't put all your bets in one thing. So 50% change the system politically by also forming a new black political party, by also forming our own black united nations where we don't have to wait for the UN to do stuff, but groups of us get together around the world and do our own voting by voting our own president. I don't mean in their election. I mean in a separate election where we say, okay, that's our prime minister. That's our president. That's our vice president. You go and talk to, you know, the Canadians. Um, because nothing else is going to change for most racists. They have to believe what they believe in order to stay in power. And trying to educate them, you won't change most minds. Maybe 5 10%. Exactly. The majority will remain the same. Um, so otherwise, no, I agree it'll drive with that. us crazy. Right. And I mean, I agree with the fact that you said, you know, you're not going to be able to change most minds. And for those of you who have been longtime listeners to the show, Jimmy calls in every once in a while, you know, and we we always go through this conversation, which is great because it shows you some of the perspectives. But, you know, I, and while I, you know, there are, as more time goes by, and I read more and educate myself more and deal with more and more people, <laughs> some of the things that, you know, you're advocating starts making more and more sense and more, it seems like it's a little bit more viable. However, the reason why I don't believe that that could ever happen in America is for the simple fact, if you go back and you look at the history and you look at some of the cities and towns that were, you know, thriving and very prosperous, black cities and towns. When poor whites, poor and working class whites, when, you know, their pocketbooks started going bare and empty, what did they do? They came over, they stole shit, killed everybody, and lied and chased them out took their land, you know, in some of these cities, you know, they're still finding some of the land deeds to black people that white people went and claimed that land, and they're still tearing them up and shredding them because they don't want to deal with that aspect of history. And if you don't believe that, contact Christopher Everett, who did the film Wilmington on Fire, 
You know, we talked about that. I had him on the show about a month ago, but last year I had him on the show as well. So, I mean, you know, this has happened, you know, not just with Wilmington, but Tulsa, Rosewood up there in Harlem. A lot of people don't realize that Central Park is built on top of what used to be a very prosperous city or town by freed slaves. You know, as a matter of fact, I think it was the first city established by freed slaves. And the government decided that they wanted that property to to put together that park. And so what did they do? They deported the black people out of their own town and city. And, you know, again, like I said, you know, the fact that I know that we could do that, you know, we're smart enough to have our own currency. We're smart enough to have our own government. We're smart enough to have all these things. The problem is, and this is something that I've stated, you know, on many, many occasions, how do we keep it? That's a dilemma you, for me. Can I tell you that what I was suggesting was not simply replicating what Black Wall Street and what Central Park, um, Blacks and Irish that live there, and what the people down in a part of Florida um, that were Black did. What I'm suggesting is that we have a several-tiered approach, which is how the white system operates. One is we don't just depend on U.S. We negotiate with foreign powers. We negotiate with China, Venezuela, even Cuba, etc. But the second component is that we don't just depend on having black and some progressive whites in the political establishment. We have a totally separate government as well as a separate currency just like some um, parts of Germany, the businesses, they have a separate negotiation system. So when the German system crashes, they still were able to stay in place. What I'm suggesting, as far as I've seen in history, at least in American history, has never been done. And that's what I'm saying. Take components of what worked with the Black Panthers. Take components of what, what worked with Black Wall Street, with um, Kemet, Egypt, etc., and combine it all into a system that will protect us and also have a self-defense component where we run our own police force. Back in most of these places you're referring to, they were depending on the white police force to protect them when the white races came in. And, of course, the white police force just sat back and had popcorn and enjoyed it or participated. So I'm saying we need a total quantum leap to, to make this change. And if we go back to the same strategies, just vote someone in and wait and cross our fingers and pick it. Uh, we'll be back in four years and eight years and 100 years um, jacked up. Right. We need, we need something drastic done, and part of it is discussing it on radio. An additional part is forming collectives around the world where we say, look, time out. This is not working. What's your specialty? Going to run for president? Who's going to run for mayor? in their slave system. Now, who's going to run in our own system? Now, who's the specialist in, in investment? Who's a video producer, audio producer? Okay, who's got military experience to negotiate with the Chinese military on our behalf to sign a treaty with us so that if our own government lets us down, you can come in and protect us or go into the UN and vote on our behalf. We have an ad hoc response to a global pandemic of war against black people. We don't have a united front. We have a little NAACP here and Nation of Islam here. Nothing coordinated. So this will continue until we get some, you know, grow the balls to put our differences aside. 
and come together. Nothing's going to change. And I guess my question to you would be, do you really believe that they would allow us to do that? Um, yes. Yeah, see, the, the system needs us. It can't jail or kill us all because the system feeds off us on different ways. So even though there would be some resistance, you can't stop it if people in South America, Caribbean, globally, that are brown and black, come to the conclusion that enough is enough, let's work together. They will, of course, try to kill some of the leaders of the movement, but that's where not putting one pony in the race comes in. Not one Martin Luther King, one Patrice Lumumba, but committees of people in every black community in the world. Will you get everyone? No, because many blacks love this um, slave system and others just have self-hate. But there may be 10, 20% that have the gumption to say, you know what, okay, let's do this. Would do it. And I'm hoping that the more, you know, we talk about this, Uh the more tired we get, eventually people will say, look, nothing has worked in 400 years. Nothing. They killed our leaders. They destroyed our stuff. Insular meaning only Caribbean blacks work together, only African-Americans, only black people in Africa that are Muslim, only the black people in Africa that are Christian. No, not working. Let's put those differences aside and maybe 10% of us make that change because that's all it would take, in my opinion. We don't need 100%. There are enough black people on the planet, 10% of us, to be the most powerful nation on the planet financially, intellectually, athletically. We'll take over. You know, so I think that's the solution. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, you know. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. And, you know, again, when you're talking about how the system, you know, needs, you know, yeah, they've, they've taught us to be consumers. You know, and, yes, they need, it's just, I'm not saying that it couldn't happen. I'm just saying that it would be difficult and the narrative that they would put forth in that particular situation, the narrative would be, oh, they're separatists. And basically you'd have people out there basically trying to, you know, tank the water, if you will. And, you know, I just, how can I put it? It's like I would love for us to be able to kind of have our own thing and do it, but I really just that um, you know, I just think that you know, basically they'll find a way to destroy it. See, there's they would find a way to legal, destroy. But there's nothing on the books in the United Nations nor in U.S. law that excludes people's rights to come together to work and negotiate. Now, even if the system does pass laws saying, oh, black people, you can't form a corporation, nonprofit, where you work together, that would probably be found not only unconstitutional when it hits state and U.S. Supreme Court, but also in international courts, it would be totally ludicrous. I don't think they can stop it. I think the only thing they could do is a public uh, relations campaign to smear the concept and they could try to bribe some of the leaders of different divisions. But I don't see a legal way that they could stop it. They could send in the Klan to try and, you know, kill some of the folks. But that's what's happening now in any case. In other words, we're already going right. through hell. So why not go through hell with a more intelligent plan and an escape plan 
with some Kool-Aid and some air conditioners and some future hope of change as opposed to me going through it, what my father went through, what his father went through, and what my kids will go through. Continue on this path. That's what the future says. More will pass. That's basically what's coming if we continue doing the same craziness over and over. I mean, more will pass with a new cell phone or in spaceships. We've been through this. It's time to really put a stop, take a time out and say, wait a minute, (laughs) this is not working. And uh, I think anything new that has um, really uh, teams of people researching it and and reflecting on it and accountants and lawyers and intellectual property and lawyers and, you know, U.S. Constitution lawyers and human rights, I think anything new gives more hope than going through the same two-party system and the same police brutality and the same Black Wall Street that was destroyed. Had they had their own negotiations with the Canadian government or with Native Apache or Native Comanche, find some of them and say, listen, if the troops come in to get us, one, how will you help us? Two, if you won't, then we're not going to do so-and-so when it's time for you. Uh, We need to really get deeper on this. I think we're taking it on a more kindergarten level. Thousands of topics that are involved in business and law and international uh, negotiations. Uh, The picketing and the boycotting is not sufficient. That's an ad hoc response to a disaster. It's time for a totally new system for black people. And by the way, for any people that want to work with us, there are white people in my circle, probably 100 of them, who are willing to work. In my own circle, there are probably 300 people that would work on something like this, and we're working slowly now. It's just that I'm hoping there are others. And it's not my thing, by the way. There have to be other Uh people out there. I I feel like this is, you know those movies where you see one group of people, supposedly all other humans are dead, and they're on a walkie-talkie. Hello, is anybody else out there? There have to be other people that say, okay, that's the same thing I was thinking, or I was thinking something even better. Here's how we can improve it. We need we need that type of um, um, thing to occur where we get together and discuss this, and someone else could say, ah, tweak that area, and someone else says, look, man, I'm down. I know Obama personally. I got him on speed dial. Someone else says, yeah, Nihama, I'm black Chinese, you know. Um, something has some bull going on in, in America and in the world for our people. Yeah, you know, like I said, I'm just looking at it, and like I said, either way it goes, we're screwed. You know, it yeah. doesn't matter who wins, we're screwed. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. one is with KY Jelly and the other one ain't, period. Yeah, yeah, you know? one has, yeah, the Democrats give a bit less of a painful screwing, but in the end, we still get raped. And uh, Trump offers a more brutal in my opinion, actually, it could be the flip, depending on how you consider it, but a more brutal rape, but we still get raped. And I'm saying either way, we're going to be raped for the next four or eight years, it looks like. So might as well plan to, at the end of it, say, you know what, here's, here's what will happen while we're getting raped, you know, because uh, it's going down for the next four years. Yeah. So I got my grease ready. So, so we got to, uh, I wish we had used any other word but rape. Because now I know I'm going to get a whole bunch of side eyes and emails. So, 
but that is what's happening. Maybe rape is the wrong word. No, no, because it is, because in jail, um, brothers are getting raped and sisters. Um, In in the financial world, we're getting raped. In the last crash, we lost our um, our homes, we lost income. Um, So if if physical sexual rape victims are offended by that term, if we said we're still slaves, I don't think... um, there would be a riot by people in North Africa who are slaves. In fact, many of them would probably empathize and say, hey, man, let's work together. We can't please everybody. And so I'm at the point where I'm like, well, please black people. And whoever is hurt, fuck it at that point. Because we can't please everybody. If they're playing semantic games and, well, you know, don't use that term because I'm like, look, we've been going through this for 400 years. Don't take it personal. Yeah, yeah, you know, 400-year guilt trip they've been, you know, we've been on. And so, yeah, this, man, so, yeah, we got to figure out a better way, you know, a better way to get around this, a better way to improve our communities, a better way to be self-sustaining, self-reliant. But, you know, as you stated earlier, you know, um, you know, keeping it global because, again, we live in a global society. That's not going anywhere, you know, mm-hmm. and so you have the people that are railing against that. You know, at the end of the day, you're going to be – you're still going to be mad tomorrow because this global economy is going nowhere, and, you know. Yeah. So the smartest thing to do is be to figure out your place in it. But, again, you know, like I said, with some of the – with some of the agendas – by some of the people, again, you know, the reason why they get along with the white supremacists is because they want the same thing, but in blackface, you know. And so we got to make sure that we don't create a system that, you know, instead of his, you know, being, you know, white supremacists, now we got black supremacists. And again, you know, I was talking about white Christian men in this country. It'll be black men or what have you in that particular society. And so, yes, you can't please everyone, but, you know, there's going to be some roadblocks. But at this point in time, I just feel that anything that we really try to do, that they're going to find a way to try to kill it, try to destroy it. And like you said, even though we made treaties and pacts, you know, you know, other countries and what have you. You know, one of the reasons why the United States has been lucky on a lot of occasions is because we're so far away. They have to travel to get here to fight on, you know, any type of real front. You know, and so I'm not saying well, it can't be done. I just, was, I just need was, to see. Some, mm-hmm. Yeah, that. That traveling you're referring to was possibly 50 years ago. Today, there's, from a communications standpoint, there's the Internet, there's cell phones. From a military standpoint, there are interballistic missiles. We have a small world now where anything can pop off within a short time anywhere on the planet. We could make a delivery of anything you could think of anywhere on the planet if we wanted to within probably an hour because we have, not we as black people, because the infrastructure is set up globally to just drop things off. We have satellites in space. I think that we're in a new age, a digital age. We're at an age where the planes are faster, the cars are faster, the bullets are faster, and the death is faster. And if we 
can keep up with that and utilize some of that uh, advantage, we will come out victorious. If we keep doing things the same way we're doing it, we'll continue to be, um, well, let's say, molested and killed. That's not going to change. <laughs> For example, I have I have a gentleman I just met. He's from out of state. He has a farming collective and he has access to tons of food. I met an, another gentleman, and he's doing business out of state also, and he has a collective. He doesn't call it a collective, but he has a group of farmers that he works with. I've met with some uh, Wall Street executives who have similar sentiments to change the system. I've met with one or two rising politicians who, quiet as it's kept, they really want to make changes, but they just don't say it publicly. And this is just on my standpoint. I'm sure there are other people out there who will say, wait a minute, I got A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Um, and a person doesn't have to buy into the entire plan. They could say, look, I like the aspect where you're talking about negotiating with foreign governments. That makes sense. Fine. Then work on that committee. Someone else may say, look, I like the stuff about females having rights across the board because females have been the most oppressed group in humanity forever. It's been the females and, of course, the children. Racism wasn't an issue until Alexander the Great conquered Egypt. Before that, the Greeks worshipped Imhotep for thousands of years. Um, so that the feminists may come on that end. Another group may say, look, I like the digital currency, but we need to improve it because Bitcoin is already under attack. So no one has to join in on everything. Just like today, we don't join in on everything. Some people are anti-police brutality. Some think people are pro or anti-LGBT, da-da-da. So the same thing with this. But if we keep doing it the same way, nothing's going to change except we're going to go crazy or be dead. Exactly. As far as, you know, what you're saying, yeah, what Albert Einstein said, he said, um, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different <laughs> results. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And see, and, you know, like I said, I would have to definitely sit down and look at a concrete plan or something like that. But right now, you know, the way that I'm seeing things is, you know, if we even attempted to, you know, set something like that up that, you know, a lot of people will be hurt in, you know, a number of different ways. Hmm? Hurt in what way? How will they be hurt? Oh, well, I mean, I believe that the the government will come in and shut that down by any means necessary, any, any and everything that they have, you know, and anyone, anything that challenges the status quo or challenges the system as it is right now. You know, the system has been designed to, you know, to, to kill or destroy or deconstruct anything that, that resists, you know, what has been established. You know, so if you go against the establishment, if you go against the status quo, you know, it's always worked this way for them. And, of course, they're victorious and all of that, but what they don't seem to understand, some people, is that American dream that many of them are striving to achieve is an American nightmare for many more of us. And when you were talking about how we got screwed over um, with the mortgage bubble crisis, yeah, that, that took out a lot of wealth out of black and brown communities. And that's why I say we're in worse position now than our parents and our grandparents were in the, you know, 50s and 60s. You know, we've yeah. lost that wealth. We've lost that money. We've lost that equity. 
all of that is gone. And there's nothing we can say or do to get that back. So we're going to have to rebuild. But, you know, again, let's try to bring it back to center. When you have someone like Donald Trump that's out here, and like I said, he's Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson for working class and poor whites. When he's out here making all of these false promises to everyone, you know, but especially his New Deal for the blacks, you know, he knows he's not going to ever be able to pull that off. And he's not trying to because it would alienate his entire base. And white nationalists and alt-right people that support him, again, they would tear this country down. They would burn it up before they would allow him to do anything specifically for the blacks, you know, because the only thing they want done specifically for the blacks is for us, to, you know, whether it's voluntary or involuntarily, involuntarily to leave. Yeah, can I you tell know, you how – the Trump was... support... Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Can I tell you how Trump relates to what I was saying? The white system itself is structured precisely the way that I'm saying. There are tens of thousands of organizations. If you shut down one or two or ten, there are about 9,990 others in existence, some off the books, some on the books. So I would suggest just like um, Trump has the support of white nationalists and white supremacists, some of those white supremacists are cops, lawyers, doctors, preachers, teachers, and electricians, fighters, writers, and politicians. They're the men with the keys to your ignitions. The way we're going to change this is to give the system real competition. Right now, we're not giving competition. The system cannot stop something that is a global phenomena that is on the books and off the books, that has corporations, that doesn't have corporations, that's in the jails and out of the jails, that's in the hospitals and out of the hospitals, that's in the homeless shelters and out of. It's impossible to stop also because they're also white people who are down with the program, just like they were some during the Underground Railroad and during the civil rights marches and today, the same. They can't stop it. It's impossible. It's like water. Be water, my friend. So there you go. There you go. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, the whole thing is interesting, but we got to move forward. Now I remember where I know that caller from. Yeah. <laughs> ah, I remember him now. Oh, yeah. 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 He's, he's a troll. He's a troll. He likes to troll, you know, all of these blog talk shows. And I'm like, and you know, you can tell his voice. That shit is funny. Hey, Frank. Oh, hey, baby. Not, not, not you. I'm talking about the, the, the um, troll. You know what oh, I mean, but um, I water my friend. That was from Bruce Lee. I thought you meant. Oh, okay. You got yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no, 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 no. Because it's like you know when you, when I take time off and I think about it, and you know I just get caught up in life, and so then you forget, and then you do another show. And you know, it's like, the hell, what kind of left field shit is this coming from? Like, oh, now I remember. So, yeah, maybe I need to do shows more often, but I have been otherwise engaged, living life and enjoying myself. So, you know, it kind of works out both ways for me. But, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot that we need to do. And, like I said, the system, the way it's set up, it is here to benefit 
heterosexual, cisgendered white men. That is how it's been set up. That's how it's always been. You know, Donald Trump and some of his people, if they were to have their way, the only people that would be allowed to have a vote were landowners. And unfortunately, you know, that's one of the dilemmas that kind of ties into what, you know, you were saying there. We don't own a lot of land. You know, we need the land, we need the irrigation rights, we need the rights to the airspace, all of that. And we need to start building. You know, and what's so interesting is, you know, everybody was passing around an article which alleged that Elaine Brown from the Black Panther Party said, basically was saying that Black Lives Matter had a plantation mentality. And so people were passing that around and giving their little critiques. You know, however, Elaine Brown herself confronted that issue. And she never stated that. What she stated was Black Lives Matter, they need to build and grow, build and grow. And so the gentleman that wrote that article, you know, she sent him an email. And within 10 seconds, her phone was ringing. And she told him off, and he apologized. And that came out of Elaine Brown's mouth itself. Why? because I was there and I saw her say it. Okay, so, you know, yeah, we need, we got to buy some land. It's just, I guess with someone like me that's kind of caught up between two generations here, you know, when I was born, you know, several of the Black Panther Party people you know, had already been put in jail, political prisoners, chased out of the country. You know, some of them eventually came back. And now we have this, you know, BLM moment in this movement. And, you know, I'm kind of like middle-aged here, and I'm looking at them, and I'm like, these babies, you know, they need help, right? You know, but I'm kind of caught in between the middle because, you know, 20, 30-year-old Kim is long gone, you know. However, you know, I can be an asset in many other ways. But, you know, it's just interesting, you know, how all of this has come about and where we are now. And I did two shows, and basically I was trying to figure out how we went from Yes, We Can to Black Lives Matter to What the Fuck. Because this whole election, you know, process, and, and this has been truly WTF moment from the very beginning. And we're kind of caught up in this shit. You know, we don't really have any real authority. We don't really have any real power. Now what we do have is money. However, we've been trained to yet again be consumers. And then also we've been trained to not trust one another. And so until we start dealing with some of these issues, and I honestly believe that, you know, if we were to start loving ourselves and each other the way that we used to, I believe we would be able to have, you know, a real impact and be able to affect real change. 
you mind but if one I tell of the you a bit? Oh, sorry. Go on. I, sure, I'm trying ahead. to sneak in no, no, on no. a pause. Um, power okay. itself. <laughs> yeah. Power, if you think of it from a physics standpoint, you have kinetic energy and potential energy. I don't believe that we don't have power, even though it could feel that way, and I sometimes say it too. I think actually that the power of the white system's currency is fraudulent. It's just toilet tissue. It's not even backed by the stolen gold of the third world anymore. Additionally, their military, it does have what might seem to be power. They could just drop a bomb and wipe out, you know, groups of people. The problem is when you do that, you then create other little people just like that who see that and respond by saying, okay, you just killed my brother, my uncle, my mother, my niece, my son, my daughter, my wife, my husband, my lover, whatever the case is. So I don't think mm-hmm. that system actually has real power. This is why I think they have to lie and kill and cheat because if you had power, you would not be intimidated by poor people in Haiti or poor black people in America or Africans. You wouldn't have to lie about things. You wouldn't have to bully them. Bullies actually are powerless. They're trying to gain power by force or by fake currency. I think on the real, they have no power except the delusion like the Matrix, um, the sister that wrote it, we, a few of us used to speak to her on the phone and she would break down how, what the Matrix is. And really it's just a delusion. And it, it's a delusion on our part from an illusion that they have created that, oh, my military is power, my currency is power, my religion is power, and it's not. Because if it were, they stole all their shit from us. So then if they're power, what are we? Power, power, power? You know, uh, no, they don't have any powers. It's only what <laughs> it's only what we buy into. Now that is also a bit of bullshit too, because if a cop comes up with a right. gun and you know shoots somebody, you could say that's power, right? <laughs> so right, in well, a he way, got the power at that moment. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah that split second, you know, that is power. But right. in reality, then comes in the metaphysical question: Well, what is life if you die for a cause? and someone shoots you, are you powerless or are you powerful if you motivate people like Patrice Lumumba did, even though he died, like Bruce Lee did, even though he died, like Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. The power is really the legacy we leave behind, the motivation, the thought processes. It isn't the money, the gun, the booty, who's got the biggest penis. That isn't the power. The power is what message have you left? Look at Jesus Christ, whether or not he existed. The message was the power. Look at Gandhi, Patrice, Lumumba, Che Guevara. It wasn't, oh, what kind of car did Gandhi have? Oh, did he have a big dick? Whoa, that was a big dick, Gandhi. It was the message. You know. No, and I mean, I understand perfectly what you're saying, you know, basically Jedi mind tricks, smoke and mirrors. And that's what I try to explain to people, especially, you know, with this election cycle, with what we're seeing now. And I say, you see those talking heads. I'm like, they're being paid to sell you a story. 
They're being yeah. paid to convince you to believe what they are saying. Now, they mm. know it's a bunch of bullshit, but they got to convince you, just like some of these folks that go to church. You know, that yeah. pastor, his job is to motivate you and to convince you that what he is saying is is the absolute truth. Same thing in the atheist community. You have these master salesmen that represent these organizations, and what are they doing? They're trying to sell you the idea that you want to be over here, you want to be a part of this team, that we're victorious, even though they lose in half the battles, but you know what? We're winning half, and that's a lot more than we were doing originally, so they spin it. And, you know, these are nothing but actors. And when I get to talking to people about that, you know, they just look at me sideways, and I'm like, that's all they are. They're yeah. actors. You know, their job is to, to, to convince you to believe the words that are coming out of their mouth, even when they know it's a line of bullshit, yeah. and they know it, you know, but again, they get paid to do that. So, I mean, that's, you know, regardless of any ideologies, regardless of the different genres or what have you, it's all smoke and mirrors, and for the most part, I'll say 90% of it is bullshit. You know, but, you know, they have to sell that to you. And, again, a lot of this is about subjugating people, subjugation and control. And so, I mean, I get exactly what you're saying, but, again, with that 400-year guilt trip that we've been on, we have been convinced that we have no power. We have been convinced that we're, you know, criminal criminal minds, that we're criminally, you know, um, negligent that we're, you know, again, the myth of black criminality. We've been convinced that we are inferior. Again, the myth of black inferiority. And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why, you know, we do shows like this so that it's like, no, go look it up. You know, you don't have to believe, you know, what I'm saying. And I'm fine with that. Even with the caller that wanted to argue about the three-fifths, you know, slave compromise. You know, and, you know, the thing is, is that a lot of what he said was right as far as, um, you know, how they came to that particular number. And But you have to understand civics, you know, which I thought everybody had to take in school. They did when I was younger, but that was how they determined the number of, you know, representatives that each state had so that the smaller states wouldn't suffer and, and, you know, not have any real power because the larger states had more representatives. So, you know, it's a method to the madness. You know, two senators from each state and the number of representatives are incumbent on the population. So, I mean, you know, I wasn't necessarily arguing that with him, You know, what I'm saying is there needs to be a constitutional amendment to make these changes. There need to be changes across the board. And one of the things that people don't seem to understand is, you know, they're looking at the federal laws, they're looking at, you know, Congress, but too many people are not looking at, you know, the dog catcher or the alderman or the mayor of their cities or the Mm -hmm. state senators or their state reps. Those are the people that have a most direct impact on their lives. So, again, a lot of this is going, you know, it's about changing people's mindsets and educating them on these things here. But, again, like I said, what we're dealing with now is Donald Trump out here selling hope and change to working class and poor whites. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's having a White Lives Matter movement, and it is successful. 
Can I tell you, related to what you just said, I have been suggesting to some of my students and people that are kind of colleagues that we should get in even at a lower level beyond um, that uh, in terms of politics. We should go and take over the PTA. We should take over the Tenants Association. We should take over the Martial Arts, you know, Students Association. Right. Because what that does is all those other organizations, it's a system built one on top of the other. So if you control the PTA, the Tenants Association, if you control the Dog Catchers Union and the Booger Pickers Union and the Butt Scratchers Union, (laughs) what happens is you got a thousand butt scratches, you got 500 booger scratches, you got, I'm not dissing what I'm saying, I'm just trying to say it in a funny way, but it's true. Everybody got to scratch their butt. Well, form a union and all you butt scratchers vote a certain way, right? Um, Imagine those groups coming together, right? The butt scratchers, the booger pushers, the PTA, and saying, hey, guess what? Let's put a political candidate that protects most of us. You may have 100,000 people in your state. So that's kind of the approach I'm taking for 50% of what I'm doing politically on the low-level grassroots make moves. Because right, if you I, try to go right oh, in, yeah. Yeah, into the big stuff, they'll just squash us because we don't have the backing, financial nor uh, political. But if we go with the regular person, sneaker union and butt scratches union, there may be actually, in fact, now that I think about it, there may be 100,000 people joining that. That might do <laughs> run for vice president yeah, and butt scratches. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, the thing is, is that, yeah, that has to be built eventually. But see, one of the things, one of the issues, time, because it takes time to cultivate someone, you know, to run for these offices. And, you know, and so that's why I'm looking at the young people, because we're going to have to train them up. We're going to have to train them up to, to, you know, get them in certain places. I mean, that's what happened with Barack Obama. You know, that was not a coincidence. But I'm not even going to go into all the details about that. But let's just say, you know, they had political plans for him a long time ago. You know, it, it was just, it was a slow build, just like what you were saying there. But, yeah, we got to do something, honey. But, you know, we're going to have to do so we call in and we can hash that out a little bit more. And um, you got my phone number, right? Oops, did I hang up on everybody? No, oh, I'm, I'm here. still here. I don't know about the other. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you're here. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, you know, maybe we can, you know, kind of talk that out and hash it out. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's always been about, you know, the American white male, you know, heterosexual, heterosexual, oh, Lord, heterosexual, yeah, you, you, cisgendered yeah. white men. Yeah, and that's what it's always going to be about. And when I see women out here, you know, projecting the patriarchy and the misogyny, it's just it, it just makes me wonder. I'm like, is Susan B. Anthony, you know, having a seizure right about now? It just it makes you wonder when I see white women saying that, but especially when I see black women. But um, yeah, like I said, white Christian America, hope and change, you know, white men style. The good old boy network still prevails. And so, you know, next Sunday I'm going to be doing racism American style. But, you know, that's a couple of days before the election. Who do you call as the winner, Hillary or Trump? 
I think Trump is going to win. Um, I think that it's going to be terrible for um, lots of people. Um, I'm personally supporting Jill Stein, even though she won't mm-hmm. win this battle. But in the war, long term, people shouldn't think short term, their strategies and their right. um, tactics. So if I, all my friends and children and students, I tell, I'm behind Jill Stein whether or not she wins this battle, because she may not run next time. Someone else may run, but more people will have the balls to say, you know what, fuck it. I'm going with the one that may lose, but next time we may get twice as many votes until eventually, you know, either we get all or one of our own underground political movements is so powerful that we don't even need their system that much, you know, and I'm hoping you and I can stay in touch. Oh, yeah, definitely, but I'm going to take what you just said and tie it into the narrative that you painted for us today. We actually, when you're talking about power, you know, in some respects, power is an illusion, right? Mm -hmm. So I agree with you on that, but in regards to Jill Stein and the third-party candidates, Working class, poor blacks, you know, working class, poor Latinos, we can actually make these third parties viable. And I think the time is right now. And so Mm -hmm. this will help us get to a little bit of what you were saying. So, you know, when when you talk, don't think it's all lost on me. Right now I have about five or six conversations going on in my head, kind of tying what you're saying into some of my personal beliefs. Does that make any sense Mm -hmm. to you? And so that's why I'm kind of tying that together because black and Latino people and Native American and Asian people, you know, it's not enough white people on their own and that are registered to vote and will go out and do it. There are not enough to, to elect Hillary herself or Donald Trump. They need the communities of color's vote. And yeah. we can make these third-party you know, candidates, we can make these other political parties, we can make them viable. Yeah, We can yeah. do that. We can totally yeah. shut this system down. And so – you know, it's like, you know, so many thoughts going through my head. So just bear with me here. But, you know, we have more power than mm-hmm. we think we have. You know, yeah. you know, the biggest part is convincing people to believe that they have that power and that, you know, they really have choices. Because there's too many of us running around here feeling like we have no choice and that we have yeah. to do as we're told. And yeah. that's not necessarily the case, but the hardest thing to change is another person's mind. And yeah. so, you know, just bear with me because, like I said, you know, I'm kind of scattered here because my thoughts are, you know, kind of running. I'm tying everything together. If you knew me, you would understand what's happening with me right now. But, I mean, you know, what you just said, very, very true. And, you know, we're definitely we're going to have to find a way to push that forward, but um, yeah, guy, you know, you have. Do you mind if I add? Here. Yeah, sure. the actors basically Schwarzenegger, etc. The the guy that looks the best or the female that can dress the, in the most expensive suit and act um, generally fools the masses. But I um, regarding the oh, you said a point. Oh, about changing, um, educating people. What I find, at least for me personally, is that the more empowered and knowledgeable and strong I am, the more I'm able to assist others to pick up um, their whatever 
their gauntlet is. And so for most people, uh -huh. whether they want to be a leader or a student, empower yourself um, on every level. Because if a leader gets out there that has one flaw or weakness, what happens is students may fall back or lose faith. And so the, the one is the most important. That's you, you, all of you, you the host, you the listeners, not me, not the host, you, each individual, because they're not going to listen unless they have a level of understanding on the discussion. It's like talking astrophysics uh, with Stephen Hawking. You know, I'll sit there and just be totally lost. <laughs> I just have to trust him. Like, yeah, no, I agree. Whatever. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like I wouldn't even attempt that with Stephen Hawking. Yeah, now, what yeah, I will yeah. probably do, can I stand on the back of your chair and can we go for a race around the room? Yeah, know, something yeah, like, I know, yeah. You know, I'm kind yeah. of playful. That's the only thing I can do with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So anyway, you know, um, yeah, thanks for calling in. But, yeah, we're going to be doing Thank it you. again next Sunday, 1 o'clock Central Standard Time. You know, again, white Christian America, we're going to be talking about racism, American style, and I'm going to talk about how Christianity and the Bible was used to justify slavery Jim Crow, racism, poverty, sexism. and a number of other things. Hmm? Sexism, too. Sexism? Was the Bible was oh, used yeah, yeah. to justify the abuse of females, the abuse of children, yes. the raping of people who yes. aren't your religion, taking their land, killing them, maiming them. Uh, but it's like most religions. Uh, religion is tends to be a, a, a tool of oppression, and people think it's about a god when god is a pagan word. It comes from god, G-A-U-D, which comes from gudan, G-U-D-A-N, a, a proto-Germanic deity, which pagan um, people did. Now, by the way, I'm not saying pagan is wrong. I'm just saying if you're a Christian and you claim pagans are wrong, well, you're using the word god, and that's based on a pagan word. Uh, so religion tends to be so foolishness and fuckery. <laughs> yeah, you know, so there's a lot that we need to talk about on that show And like I said, you know, racism And talk about, you know, how a lot of these things were justified, you know, by religion And mm -hmm. even with this election here You know, you have the white evangelicals that know good and damn well That Donald Trump is a racist white nationalist, in my opinion you know, I'm not saying matter-of-factly, but what I'm saying is, you know what? Well, if I have a scale, that, that side is all the way down. But um, basically, you know, justifying, you know, their support of Donald Trump, and it's interesting because we had a white um, pastor wrote an article saying that some of these white evangelicals are acting more white than Christ-like in regards mm -hmm. to their support of Donald Trump. So it's just, it's real interesting, you know, and right now I'm just kind of focused on white Christianity, but, you know, black Christians, I'm going to be easing on down your road real soon. So don't think <laughs> I'm not going to talk about you guys because I'm coming. But, you know, yeah. I'm just trying to figure out how to put it together, you know what I mean, but it doesn't matter. You know, the fact that I woke up in the morning is offensive to some people, so you know, I just have to understand that I can't make everybody happy. Because, I mean, that, you know, that's the truth. You know, waking yeah. up each morning, having breath in your body as a black man or as a black woman, you know, that offends some people. You know, it's an act of mm -hmm. resistance. 
And yeah. so anyway, we're not going to go into all that, but we'll be talking about that next Sunday, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Again, this is Kim of Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I even appreciate the um, Ethiopian student that called earlier. Thank you so very kindly for the history lesson. You know, um, you know our blog talk um how can I say, you know, blog talk caller, if you will, um, when he was talking about the three-fifths, you know, I get it, you know, but we just differ on some fundamentals there. But, again, I understood where you were going with the civics part of it. That part is absolutely correct. That part is correct. Didn't argue that it wasn't correct. All I'm saying is if we're going to make constitutional amendments for other things, Let's fix that, too. So, you know, I don't see why that would be a problem. The reason why it would be a problem is because, you know, if it's on the ballot across the country, something tells me they will not be voting to amend that particular part of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of people fear because, you know, a lot of folks are saying that Donald Trump is, you know, the reason or the problem why we have all of this racism bubbling back up. And, of course, the Donald Trump people are pointing at Obama, saying that this is <laughs> Obama's fault. And the thing is, is that, you know, the only thing Obama did was show up black. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and, of course, that's a problem for a lot of folks. But, you know, Donald Trump, this what's happening with him, this is not a new phenomenon. That racism has always been in this country. What Donald Trump did is he ripped the damn scab off of it. That is all. It was always there. This is not new. You know, people were, you know, people were basically shunned if they openly expressed their racism, sexism, homophobia, blah, 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 right? But now Donald Trump has given them like, yeah, you can say it, fuck them, they'll get over it. And that's the attitude a lot of people are taking. So this is not new. This has always been here. He just made it okay to say out loud again. So it it should be really interesting, you know, how all of this goes through. But, um, yeah, tomorrow is Halloween. You know, if it wasn't for the fact that you have crazy people running around in the crazy clown outfits and all of that, you know, I would say dress up as a crazy clown and go chase the people who are dressed mm-hmm. up in blackface around. Now, that would be mm-hmm. funny, you know, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, I have a warped sense of humor about that type of stuff. Anyway, honey, you have, and thank you for calling. I appreciate your calling in. And, you know, we'll talk about some other things and, you know, all that good fun stuff. But, you know, it's a process. It's a process. And, you know, there's still some, you know, there's still some things that I have to kind of deal with personally as far as, like, my belief systems, because, you know, one of the things when you start reading about the history of this country, it seems as though once you have, you know, a person of color, whether they're black or Latino, you know, that rises to power in the sense that they have the ear, the mind, and the hearts of the people, 
then that person is assassinated and killed. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can be killed in many different ways, not just necessarily physically, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't know. You know, maybe this is my age showing that, you know, it's like, am I really truly willing to lose everything to gain the world? You know, and that's purely philosophical, you know, something that, you know, I'm dealing with internally. And so, you know, it just kind of makes me think about these subjects and think about me and what I'm truly willing to do. And so that's why I'm very careful when I do this show and some of the things Mm -hmm. that I say, because I'm not going to tell you to do something I ain't going to do. And all I'll say is, well, A, B, and C wants to do X, Y, and Z. Now, I'm not telling you to do X, Y, and Z, but that's your choice. And I just leave it at that, and, you know, and I move on. But, eh, some growing pains, you know, that Don't forget, that happens, don't forget you know? people come with different portfolios. Some people are meant to do A, B, and C. Others, their only job is to do D, E, or F. I don't think everyone has to take on everything. The person might just be a great janitor, but they form the janitor's union. They become the vice president. They inform people. They keep their neighborhood clean. You know, so we all have a role to play, and I think that it will work out fine as long as we, you know, stay sane and don't let the system get to us and keep it moving and positive. Exactly. And so we'll end on that note. So thank everybody for listening to Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And one more time, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'm not trying to tell you what to think. I'm not trying to tell you how to think. I just want you to think, okay, and come up with your own conclusions and do the research, and double-check everything, you know, trust but verify. How about that? All right, now, everybody, you all enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Take care. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.